0: Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Nobody's joining me today. Mm Hmm. So sad. Uh, Peter was supposed to be on, but uh, he had a family commitment that ran uh, long and uh, unfortunately just, you know, couldn't make it work, which happens occasionally. Real life does not work out um, as well and as easily as um, we would like. <laughs> uh, but we, we we persevere, and uh, we will persevere here, producing another quality and credit show as you've come to know and love them over the last almost five years will it be five years next week i think it will 2017 2018 2019 2020, 2020 yep five years huh well i'm glad we figured that out i'm glad we took time effort and energy at the beginning of this week's show to figure that all out. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be a triple feature, since I'm here all by myself. Uh, we're gonna do, and I, and I boy did I struggle trying to figure out like what the best order for these things uh, should be. Um, we're gonna do Chippendale Rescue Rangers. We're gonna do Men. And we're going to do Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I put Doc theoretically. I was thinking, let's escalate this. To go from the basically kids movie to the basically, you know, entire family enjoyable sort of kind of teen centric because it's a lot of horror movie angles, like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and then the just blatant, blatant uh adult <laughs> drama horror movie um that uh it's definitely not for everyone which is men but i i do want i i my feeling is i will tread uh into spoiler territory talking about doctor strange even though it's been out for a couple of weeks i don't want people to feel like uh if, if they want to listen to the rest of the episode um and don't want to hear spoilers for Doctor Strange because they might go to the theater to see it, or, might, or they're waiting for it to pop up on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I, I don't want to ruin it for you uh, because there are some neat surprises. Now, I'm not 100% sure I will stray because all of this is kind of just free-balling um, all over this episode. <laughs> so, um, I just wanted to... Just in case I stray into spoiler territory, I saved Doctor Strange for last. Which brings us to our first film, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Now, you may be familiar with the Disney afternoon block, which was in the late 80s, early 90s, and one of the shows was Chip and Dale's Dale's Rescue Rangers. In that block, there was also DuckTales, there was Darkwing Duck, there was Tailspin, uh, Goof, I think it was Goof Troop, is what the show is called. It featured Goofy and Goofy's Son. I know they made a Goofy movie essentially based on Goof Troop, but I'm pretty sure this show is called Goof Troop, which perhaps shows the level of research that went into this when I was uh, preparing to do a, a solo round here. Um, but I sat down, watched Dale Rescue Rangers, and I walked away with a number of questions that I wrote down in the course of watching this film. Uh, there's a scene at the beginning where... First of all, what you have to understand is that this takes place in a world where cartoons and people live side by side together in harmony. So there's a scene where there's a little pig child walking into school, not wearing any pants, and the teacher draws attention to this, uh, saying, You're not Donald Duck. Uh, is that appropriate for a kids' movie? That's question number one. Question number two, um, <laughs> and this is also on a level of appropriateness. Um, there's a there's there's an opening narration at the beginning. It's like, who are some famous Chippendales? And of course, one of them is the uh, group of adult performers, the male strippers, who uh, go by the let's say nom de guerre <laughs> Chippendales. Is that an appropriate joke? um there's a gag because it takes uh, the first part of the film is how chip and dale meet and they meet at school as kids and dale's the new kid it's at, at school he walks in and he does this gag where he pretends he stabbed himself in the eyeball with a pencil is, is that appropriate so the, the movie is like two, or two minutes in the movie and, and it's like <laughs> inappropriate all over the place um, and I guess it depends on your point of view. And that's one of the things I, I was wondering. And this is, none of this is to say that Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers is a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a very fun movie. But it's also, a, I think, in its DNA sort of deeply confused. Um, let, me go, let me just ex- explain further. It's not just cartoons, like the t- old-fashioned 2D animation. And if you've seen the trailers for Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, you know that Dale is in a kind of like 3D mode. And Chip is in, like, the traditional sort of cell-animated 2D mode. Why is that? That seems a little bizarre. Well, you find out in the course of the film that after Rescue Rangers, Chip and Dale's careers, you know, go off the rails and they, they go their separate ways. Um, Chip goes into insurance and becomes, you know, a 9 to five, or Dale is, like, doing the convention circuit, and one of the things he's done is he's uh 3d himself. He's he's gotten a 3D makeover, which, you know, I guess he's kind of code for plastic surgery and how um wash up stars can you know do plastic surgery to hold on to whatever youthful appeal that they have. But my questions are multiple. First of all, how does the 3D process work? When you go into get 3D'd, how does that work? Uh number two is Because there's also other characters in this world who were kind of, like, born 3D. How does that work? That seems kind of bizarre. And did 3D characters start coming about at the invention of 3D animation? And is there, like, a computer factory somewhere where 3D characters are, like, coming off an assembly line or something or is this, like, an evolutionary quirk? Like, one day, you know, it was like a mutation where two two 2D animated characters gave birth to a 3D animated character, which seems kind of bizarre. And then there's this other thing, You, you meet these characters along the way who are, like, uncanny valley, so, like, We're talking about, like, Polar Express-like characters or uh, Final Fantasy of the Spirits Within-type characters, but they have, like, the dead eyes. And Chip and Dale make that joke because they come across uh, a henchman for this uh, this, uh, gangster character, Sweet Pete, who um, is clearly of that mold with the dead eyes and is voiced by Seth Rogen. It's like, so are they basically admitting that these uncanny valley characters are handicapped in some way like is that the inference here and i mean all of this is coded (laughs) in a lot of like really bizarre Ways. Yeah, Dale, I'm gonna be up on that stage too, right beside you. Yes, Ugly Sonic, that's the spirit. And they'll like me for who I am. Not like last time when the internet got one look at my human teeth and burned the place down. Okay, let's see here. Best wishes, Ugly Sonic. There you go, kid. (laughs) Oh, they're laughing at me. I know that. You can't hurt my feelings if I'm in on the joke. Are you, though? Yes. Anyway... Now my luck has shifted. I've been offered a new reality show where I do ride-alongs with the FBI. It's called Ugly Sonic, Uglier Crimes. Really? A TV show? You? Yeah. Is that so difficult to believe? Oh... Uh... (laughs) I guess... Yeah, you know what? That's great. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And then you find out that uh, two of the characters from Rescue Rangers, Gadget and Zipper, who are a mouse and a fly, um, ended up getting married after the show and have had several children together who are mouse-fly amalgams. This is kind of never explained to any kind of biological satisfaction, but it also made me think, like, why aren't there more hybrids walking around, you know? Isn't it possible that, like, a cartoon cow and a cartoon, I don't know, dinosaur, like, had a relationship and had offspring? Or how about a cartoon and a regular human? Also, there are, like, animated Transformers in this universe, because you see at one point, there there's a transformer in the audience where Chippendale are one of their early exploits are doing this talent show at school, and there's a Transformer in the audience. So are there <laughs> are Transformers getting married to people or are Transformers getting married to other animated characters? And what happens when a 3D character marries a two D character and they have a child? It just it opens up all of these bizarro questions that almost till the end of the movie, kind of got in my way of enjoyment, because there's also claymation characters, and we meet a puppet character at one point. So you have claymation and puppets living side by side with 3D animated characters, 2D animated characters, and people, and it's just so bizarre. I I just, I could not, I could not get past it until almost, like, the literal end of the movie. Um, where you could just sort of, sort of sit back and just like, okay, we've we've made it this far. It's also a sweet, simple 97 minutes, so I, I appreciated that. Also, again, with the adult content, they essentially go into a cheese, a smelly cheese opium den. Um, it's implied that Monterey Jack, who is the this Australian character, is part of the Rescue Rangers, thankfully voiced by an Australian in this... Um, in this movie, Eric Bana provides the voice of Monterey Jack, which I thought was a nice touch. But um, it's essentially implied that he has a drug problem, and he might get bootlegged by this Sweet Pete character. Um, bootlegging in this universe means that uh, you are essentially kidnapped. Um, you know, your your features are drastically altered so that you you look like. Your your character, but you've been changed so you can appear in bootleg versions of your of your popular product. Um, so Flounder gets missing, and he gets messed up, and he's put in this uh, new version of of the Little Mermaid, which I think is called the Small Fish Girl in in the bootleg version. So I mean, there are shades of human trafficking and <laughs> and exploitation here. And Chip and Dale like they go to essentially an opium den, but for like smelly cheese. It's just like, good God, it's. I mean, if, if it's for, like, Rescue Rangers fans who, like, were 10 in 1990, or 10 or 11 in 1990, like I was when the show was on, and are now, like, people in their 40s, okay. But it's right there at the top banner on the Disney Plus app, looking like a very available and very friendly kids movie, and I'm not sure how I feel about any of that. But I mean, it is kind of a spiritual successor to Roger Rabbit in, in that regard, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it wants to go all the way like Roger Rabbit did, which was sort of like explicitly a, a, a satire or a parody of a film noir um, with all the trappings that are in with sex and violence. I mean, the the, the whole thing with, with Who Framed Roger Rabbit is Eddie Valiant's hired to take dirty pictures of Jessica Rabbit playing Patty Cake with... Uh, the head of Acme, and you don't need to be like a film scholar to understand what like playing patty cake in quote marks is code for. Of course, in in the in, <laughs> in the context of the film, they're literally playing patty cake, but you get the idea. The other thing I'm feeling not so sure about is. Um, the character of Sweet Pete, it turns out to be like a grown-up Peter Pan who's like all bitter and cynical about having lost his boyish charm and having to grow up and he's no longer a big star anymore. Which plays very close to the fate of Bobby Driscoll, who was the boy who gave voice to Peter Pan in the 1951 Disney film. Bobby Driscoll was a contract player at Disney, he was kind of a big star. He was in Treasure Island. He was in also Song of the South, which was a big hit in 1946. Um, but he had a very sad career uh, or post career after that. You know, he he did like a lot of child stars. He grew up. He wasn't as cute or as bankable anymore. Um, he goes to like regular high school. Like he before that, he was going to basically the, the studios have had their own school system for kids who were also actors. Uh, but then he goes to regular high school, bullied mercilessly for being a Disney kid, starts experimenting with drugs. He does eventually graduate from high school, but uh, and has kind of a film career doing like guest shots on, on various TV shows like Rawhide and, and what have you. But then he goes to New York to try and you know, reinvent himself as a quote-unquote serious actor by doing Broadway. And that never comes to fruition. Uh, and he was found dead of heart failure, essentially because of his drug use. He was 31 years old. It was 1968. Some kids are playing in an abandoned house, and they come across the body of Bobby Driscoll, except nobody knows it's Bobby Driscoll. He's buried as a John Doe on Hearts Island, which is where they basically put everyone who can't be identified or is unclaimed in New York City. Um... He's buried on this island, an- anonymously, and it wasn't until his mother went looking for him because his step—I think it was his stepfather—that was dying, and he wanted to- Bobby to reconcile with his stepfather before he died. And the FBI was managed was able to match Bobby Driscoll's fingerprints to this fingerprints of a John Doe, and at that point, um, he was identified. Although I not sure he was ever reinterred back home but here none of the the public didn't know this until 1971 when a um when song of the south was re-released and then reporters went hey whatever happened to that bobby driscoll kid it turned out he died at the age of 31 of heart failure alone probably cold probably desperate in an abandoned new york house and then was buried in a pauper's grave uh, and nobody knew that for, uh, you know, a couple of years after he died. Just an incredibly sad story. And so I, I have very, very, very mixed feelings <laughs> about them sort of using that as fodder for this, you know, cheeky, fun little Rescue Ranger movie. <sighs> Putting all that aside, it is, I, I will say it's a fun time. You get the redemption of quote unquote Ugly Sonic. People re- may remember when Sonic the Hedgehog came out in. Uh, or the trailer, I should say, for Sonic the Hedgehog came out in 2019. People were flipping out because of sort of like the realistic hedgehog that they produced for it. Um, now, Ugly Sonic has been redeemed. He, he is, ostensibly becomes the hero of Rescue Rangers, um, which is <laughs> funny and, and interesting and uh, comedian Tim Robinson does the voice i feel like they're laughing there's kind of a joke in the thing where sonics like people are it's not a, it's not it's not cruel if people if i'm laughing with the joke and i, I feel like we do get there by the end of Chippendale rescue rangers we are laughing with so- with ugly sonic who is redeemed at the end and there's uh, there's a couple of good gags one of the things i will say about this is that unlike something like Space Jam a new legacy. This does not feel like a two hour ad for a streaming service. Um and it goes like well outside the the confines of of Disney, as I said with Sonic the Hedgehog. Um there's a great scene where uh the Viking character who's voiced by Seth Rogan, the Uncanny Valley guy, encounters all the other CG characters played by Seth Rogan from Kung Fu Panda and Monsters vs. Aliens, and of course, uh his version of Pumbaa from The Lion King. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff like that. Uh, you know, He-Man and Skeletor from the '80s cartoon uh, appear in a, a cameo. Uh, Tigra from The Thundercats has a a pretty substantial um, supporting <laughs> role. Uh, so it, it's 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 fun. It has its moments. Um, I would say for. People who remember the Disney Afternoon, this is for you. It is not for the kids. Uh, it, it is it is a nostalgia trip that doesn't necessarily feel like a nostalgia trip, which I found quite refreshing because I, the, these sort of like IP centric uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, Easter egg filled products, which is I, I feel like the the perfect term for this. Do you know are, are kind of more machine than man at times. And one of the things, one of the things, the positive things I will say for uh, rescue Rangers is it it does not feel necessarily like a product of the machine and it, it can be quite fun. At times, so that's Chippendales Rescue Rangers. It's the new film from Akiva Schaefer, and it stars John Mulaney, Andy Samberg, Kiki Lane, Will Arnett, Eric Bana, Tress mcneil Dennis Haysbert, and Seth Rogen. And it is now streaming on Disney Plus. Coming up next is something, well, completely different. Definitely not a kids movie. If this was, maybe it's not a kids movie. This is this this one coming up is definitely not a kids movie. You're listening to end credits. Here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. That was a clip from Men. It's the new film from writer-director Alex Garland and it stars Jess Buckley, Rory kinnear and Papa Asidu. And uh boy, this is a sit. Um Alex Garland, first of all, um, has become a very accomplished, very interesting filmmaker. He started off as a novelist. Um, he wrote The Beach, which became a, a movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio. It was released in 2000. And um, he also wrote The Tesseract. Uh, no relation to the uh, uh, the Marvel Studios MacGuffin. Uh, he also started writing his own scripts. He wrote 28 Days Later. He wrote Sunshine. He wrote Never Let Me Go. And then he he started moving into directing. He one of those gray areas he might have directed uh dread or directed massive portions of Dread, uh, which he also co-wrote the script for. But his technically his first movie is Ex Machina. And he also directed a couple years after that, Annihilation, which starred Natalie Portman and I think was based on a novel, but it's this really fascinating, uh beautiful sci-fi movie. Men is getting into sort of explicit um advanced sort of horror territory, enhanced horror, um, which which I know is a term a lot of horror fans hate. Um, but <laughs> it we're, we're kind of definitely getting in that territory here. There's a lot of subtext. Uh, to this. The film stars Jess Buckley as a recently widowed woman. She goes to the countryside, and she to this beautiful estate. It's like a 500-year-old house. It, it's, um, it's really uh, English countryside living porn for uh, people who are into that stuff. And she's trying to figure some stuff out, and she's trying to, you know, get over her loss and her sadness. It's revealed in flashbacks that uh, her husband um it could be interpreted that he killed himself or that he died by suicide rather um to use the proper nomenclature um but th- that's perhaps not as apparent as it might seem that's not to say this is like a murder mystery it's just it, it's it's like through the course of the flashback you sort of understand the dynamics of the relationship that might lead you to suspect that this maybe an accidental death or maybe, quite literally, he did take his own life as he promised. We see these flashes of sort of like the last couple of conversations they have. Essentially arguments where he threatens to kill himself. He threatens to do harm to himself if she follows through on uh, a threat to divorce him. Well, I don't even think it's a ref- it's a threat. She's, she's sort of emphatic that their marriage is over and she wants to leave. And uh, he's not willing to... Well, he doesn't take it very well. Let's just put it that way. So she moves. Uh, she doesn't move. She she goes to the countryside for uh, a holiday. Essentially, um, she meets uh, Jeffrey, who is the the landowner. He, I, I guess it's essentially kind of like his Airbnb. <laughs> um, and is uh, played by Rory Kinnear. If you don't if you don't recognize Rory Kinnear, he's been in a a ton of stuff. He is a well-known theatrical actor. He is a well-known uh, TV actor in Britain. Um, he's probably best known for his appearances in the James Bond movie where he plays Tanner, who's like one of these functionaries at MI5 that Bond's always getting exposition from. He was also on the Penny Dreadful. He was on both uh, editions of Penny Dreadful. He, he played... The, the creature on the, OG Penny Dreadful with Eva Green, and um, he he played a, a German character on the the 1930s set um, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. So he's a very good actor. He's a very he's one of these actors can sort of like disappear in the roles, which is a good thing because he plays, to my knowledge, about five people in in the film. And, of course, there's there's one scene where uh, the Jess Buckley character's in the, the local pub, and there are three characters there who all are being played by Rory Kinnear. And I'm wondering, I was wondering in the film, does she notice that all of these guys look like the same guy? Or is is that for our benefit as the audience? I don't know. What What is fascinating is that this really sort of, plums down, as, as perhaps implied by the title, um, just how awful men can be. From, you know, the the, the husband who perhaps takes his own life, perhaps doesn't, um, it, it's very clear that uh, this was if it wasn't a toxic relationship before the scenes, we sort of see it is before that. And then she goes to this village um, where uh, she comes across this naked guy, (laughs) again, played by Rick in here, who's kind of like following her around. She goes for a walk in the woods where um, she comes across this old train uh, bridge where she's, You know, enjoying the echo, where she's like making these like sort of symphonic, um, symphonic uh, hymns—not hymns, but like she's humming, but she's doing it in a very kind of like fun and and musical way, and it's echoing up and down these walls. And then she notices someone moving at the end of the tunnel. And they let out this kind of shriek, and so she runs for it, and that's when she has her first encounter with this naked man who ends up following her home. Um, who seems like kind of like a, a, a nature spirit. Uh, he has this kind of like albino skin. Um, he's wearing leaves, although not where you would think a leaf would be worn if you were wandering around the woods naked, but um. It's half implied that he's an innocent, but on the other hand, he's being very, um, very menacing. You know, you see this entire sequence where he's like peeking through windows as she's wandering around the house, and she doesn't know that he's there. But you know, it leads to several confrontations where she's, you know, talking to different men around town. She encounters a priest who. You know gets inappropriate. He puts his hand on her, her knee as he's talking to her and then basically infers that maybe it's her fault. Her husband died by suicide. Uh, he, he she she encounters a kid, also played by Rory Kinnear, made possible through digital trickery that doesn't quite work. Um, but it works well enough who who you know he says to her like you want to play hide and seek and she's like oh, i don't really want to play and he's like well you're a bitch um there there's a policeman character um who is you know uh, basically a keystone cop who's you know eh, well we had to le- we had to let the naked guy go whatever you have our number <laughs> so you know she's just surrounded by all of these men who are either mean who are you know, disinterested, dispassionate, um, I guess, like, otherwise not on her side, uh, is, is the feeling that she has. And, you know, it's helping to magnify sort of her loneliness and isolation. And here she is in this place, essentially trying to escape, but she can't because all of these people... Different men are sort of reflecting her own anxieties back at her. And Jess Buckley is so wonderful. She is such a great actress. She's so naturalistic. Um, You can't help but pull for her. Just, you know, sort of watching her kind of try and find strength, to try and rally strength, Um, even as, you know, things are sort of coming down around her um, it's really wonderful to watch, I think, trying not to get into spoiler territory, (laughs) which is hard, I think where where the movie kind of falters a bit, the first hour is solid, it is, like, Alex Garland has such great Patience, there's there's such... He so, he's so lavishly l- lenses the countryside. I want to note the cinematographer is Rob Hardy who's uh, done a lot of great stuff and he, he, he did The Last Mission Impossible movie. He also did uh, Annihilation with um, Alex Garland and Ex Machina. So he he's worked with Alex Garland well in the past. Um... But he, you know, the, the way he, the way the greens of, of the forest just pop, and the way um, the blacks are so uh, so dark and 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 dank, and like he really captures the shadows of of this old house. And um, when when she's sort of like sitting in the house, and it, she's sitting in like the the conservatory, um, and it's you know nice and pleasant. You see. The the, the 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 image of the garden just beyond the the windows it has this kind of like bleached out quality where it's 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 very light um even though out there is kind of where the danger is inside the house she's feeling safe and she's trying to build normalcy every time she ventures out of the house she ends up encountering something that makes her question herself and her vulnerabilities and um that is quite striking that, you know, outside the house, it seems very inviting. It's this lovely greenage. It's this beautiful small town, um, this beautiful medieval English countryside town. Uh, but every time she leaves, she encounters something that kind of undermines her psychology until we get to eventually the final act of the film where there is, um, some wonderfully gory body home body horror and some none too subtle birthing imagery. (laughs) And that's the thing with, um, a lot of this film is like, it, it, there's some, there's some very subtle messaging where, um, you, you get it, but Garland doesn't seem a hundred percent sure of, of, of what he's trying to say sometimes. So he ends up pushing it. Um, Past the point of you know, yeah, we get it. Like please stop <laughs> please stop hammering home this point. We get it. Uh thank you for 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 making the uh, implicit explicit. But I think that it is bizarrely rewarding. Um I mean there's no kind of pat easy answers presented and what I find fascinating is, is sort of like getting this movie in the midst of the moment we're kind of living in right now. And I would encourage everyone to listen to this week's episode of the Guelph Politicast where I talk to Jensen Williams from uh, Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis about like how you handle a lot of this news right now, which is like kind of bordering on women hating when you're looking at the Supreme court decision, or the pending Supreme Court decision in the United States, when you look at the um, recent Supreme Court of Canada decision about, you know, being really, really drunk is a perfectly viable defense if you beat up someone or you rape someone. And then, of course, uh, watching the Johnny Depp-Amber Heard trial this week, uh, these last several weeks. Not literally watching it because I have a life, but you know, watching a lot of the online reaction to it, which is so thoroughly um misogynistic. Um Johnny Depp can do no wrong. Meanwhile everything Amber Heard does is wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's that coverage, at least when you view it through the lens of social media, Reddit, TikTok, uh YouTube, it is so thoroughly women hating. Um its It's kind of weird to see all of this stuff sort of happening in the, the quote unquote real world um being reflected back through this very particular story this very again none too subtle story but I think ultimately very important story it, it, men does what a lot of really good films should do which is make you think and sort of make you wallow in them as even as you're like heading home from the movie theater um this will be an interesting film to revisit, um, and I i i about to say, I look forward to revisiting it. Not really, but I, I, do, I would like to see it again um, once it sort of reaches home video to sort of take it in a bit more. Uh, I, I, I feel like this is a movie that might stay with me all the way to the end of the year, not necessarily because it's a great movie, just because it's a really provocative movie, and and. You should be aware of going into Watching Men if it, it, it is some, it, some triggering subject matter. So viewer discretion is advised there. But it's well worth seeing if... Um, I think if you're looking for a really great sort of meaty movie to sort of dig into with a lot of symbolism and a lot of uh, messaging. Which brings me to uh, our final movie of this week, which... The message is the MCU is far from dead. (laughs) The Marvel Cinematic Universe lives and lives very well indeed. So, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back with uh, perhaps some spoiler talk of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We will see. You are listening again. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. I'm You know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. And that was a clip from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It is the new film from Sam Raimi and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, Chiotel Ejiofor, 4, Zeochild Gomez, Benedict Wong, and Rachel McAdams. Not to mention a lot of people who have. Very specific cameos. Anyway. So this has been out for a couple of weeks now. And um, it's so far made $803.2 million at the worldwide box office. So I feel like my prediction that this is going to be the biggest film of the summer is holding up well. Uh, it remains to be seen <laughs> how well uh, a Top Gun Maverick will do. My suspicion is... It's not going to do as well as people think. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um although I realize being the official movie of Applebee's this summer is 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 powerful marketing indeed. Now um I I I felt some ambivalence about going into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I remember um going to see Spider Man No Way Home, and it had the um the 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 initial teaser trailer attached at the end of No Way Home where you watched watch No Way Home to the very end. There was a teaser trailer for Doctor Strange in it. And there was nothing in that trailer that made me think, Huh. This does not feel like or this this does not feel like a Sam Raimi movie is was my thought. We've been waiting a long time for Sam Raimi to get back to movie making. He hasn't made a movie in almost ten years. His last movie was the uh, Oz, the Great and Powerful, which is one of these projects from Disney that's like, hey, it's based on a thing, but we got a new angle because it's essentially a prequel with young uh, Wizard and young Wicked Witch of the West, and we're going to learn her origin story, and we're going to learn the origin story of Glenda the Good Witch, blah, 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 blah. Boring. Um, And I think (laughs) the fact that it kind of feels like... uh, poor Sam Raimi was uh, directing with um, the emergency break-on with that one. Uh, he has had a lot of success as a producer the last few years. Uh, he co-produced the Grunge remake, the Poltergeist remake, Don't Breathe. Crawl, which is uh, this crocodile, not crocodile, alligator movie. That is a heck of a lot of fun. Um, the Evil Dead remake for Fidi Alvarez. That is... Um, really great filmmaking as well. That's a really fun uh, film, even outside of um, being being a remake of a really seminal horror film. So this, is, I really wanted this to have a Sam Raimi feeling, because what's the point of hiring Sam Raimi if you're just going to have him work out of the Marvel Studios-style book? And there's a lot of that here. What there is, though, is some really great signature... Sam Raimi touches uh there is some gore or is like the closest that you can get to gore in a PG-13 movie. There is a scene featuring a superhero team from another universe who get destroyed. Um and it is not easy to watch. <laughs> <laughs> with because uh, there are some really great kills in that scene. Again, this is this. It feels like it's pushing the line of PG thirteen good taste. There's a scene where it feels like there. Um, I guess there's these kind of evil spirits uh, that you, are encountered at one point, and it feels. I don't know if it was stop motion or if it was done. If it was designed to look like stop motion. But it is beautifully rendered. Um, and a lot of um, a lot of great detail into that. It's it's a specific sort of Raimi touch, which um, I didn't think I think I didn't think it was possible for an established filmmaker like Sam Raimi to leave his mark on a Marvel product, but somehow he did. Um, really, I, I, I can't believe it ha I mean this seems to be something that's happening, and I and I know that there's some ambivalence about Doctor Strange too. And I think it's notable that the products that seem to be causing the most consternation amongst Marvel fans are lately have been uh, this latest Doctor Strange movie and the Eternals. Well, I think when it comes to Marvel movies lately, these are the two movies that. Real, really feel like they have a director attached to them. A director who has their own ideas, their own style. They're not just being brought in to execute a vision, which I am curious about how, having said that now, how how uh, Thor Love and Thunder will be received um, in a couple of weeks, because uh, that's, that's presumably going to be another movie where the filmmaker has a very specific style and vision, given what Taika Waititi did with Thor Ragnarok? Uh, will he have? Will he have been given more of a free reign when it comes to his uh, the follow up to that, which is Thor Love and Thunder? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you have a great Danny Elfman soundtrack. Um, there's great um, effects, as I said. Uh, there you get a great <laughs> um, Bruce Campbell cameo. Um, I hope this isn't spoiling things, but he, the Bruce Cameo does return in the last post credit scene, and that has a really great sort of Sam Raimi stamp to it as well, uh, breaking the fourth wall. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely worth staying through to the end. Uh, as to the film itself, uh, people may understand this if they have seen the film already. Um, if they have not, uh, it is ju- while it is a continuation of the journey of Doctor Strange, it is also the continuation of the journey of Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, there was a show called Wanda Vision, which was the first Marvel show on Disney+, Plus, where it starred Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda and uh, Paul Bettany as Vision, and in it, uh, The Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen, creates this alternative, not an alternative world, but she takes this neighborhood in New Jersey, and turns it into, like, uh, the perfect sitcom family situation, because she's mourning the loss of her, her love, which is, uh, vision, and she imagines this, this world where they have a family, they have twin boys, and it's, it's all through the lens of this sitcom world, where you get different sitcoms from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, um, it all turns out to be her magic going awry, and, um, there's an evil witch in this. I'm saying all of this as... I, I should add, I have not watched WandaVision. And as the release date of, of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness approached, it became more and more of a specific choice. Mostly it's just because I haven't gotten around to watching it, because there's so much stuff to watch. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I and I have a job, too, so it's, it's hard to watch and enjoy TV while you're doing your job. But, um... As the release date for this movie came up, I made a very specific choice not to sort of watch that as kind of like research leading up to the release of the movie. And I think my knowledge of the WandaVision show is, like, it's not like I didn't know anything about it, but I think that if you haven't seen the show, you get enough uh, watching this to sort of know what it was about. And if you did watch the show, perhaps it's a bit more rewarding in terms of uh, having the the full picture laid out in front of you as it were but having said that I, I think you can get along fine without having watched wandavision you still get the the highlights and it is still thankfully it is still like kind of like a doctor strange movie my concern going into this that it was going to be like one of these sort of connective movies that marvel comes up with that you know we're setting the stage for this and this and this so we're using this movie to um essentially promote the next five movies. And I that never felt like that's what this was doing. This feels like a very self-contained adventure, which I appreciated. Uh, it comes from Michael... Uh, the script, I should say, it comes from Michael Waldron, who uh, wrote the Loki series, which I did watch beginning to end... And uh, I think it preserves a lot of that weirdness and a lot of that fun and a lot of that oh, who's who, who might pop up next and isn't this multiverse weird? And we live in a did we just pass through a paint universe <laughs> where everything's made of paint, which is a fascinating uh, development. Uh, yeah, it's. I was quite surprised by this. I found it much more engaging than I thought it was going to be. The horror elements, I think, pop and work. I think it sets, because there's definitely an inference that we're going to be getting more into the horror side of things as we go forward. Um, We know that Blade is coming with uh, Mahershala Ali, and that's always kind of been in the back of my mind. It's like, well, how does Marvel make a a non-R-rated Blade movie that sort of fits into the broader universe? I think, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness establishes a template. I think that um, you can walk up to the line of doing a hard-R horror movie and it still be effective. And indeed, there are uh, there are zombies <laughs> in in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. There are some very, again, very surprising bits of violence. And, you know, it, it's dark. There are some really pretty dark developments in this. And um, some pretty dark implications going forward. I do wonder if we're, you know, maybe, again, not trying to go beyond what is inside the movie, but, you know, is is this setting up a a sort of future... I don't know With uh, there's kind of like in so much as like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor are representing like sort of the space side of the Marvel Universe. Are we developing like an occult magic side of the Marvel Universe that can be explored as sort of like its own, its own little thing over here? Um, maybe that it, it would be interesting to to see that uh, develop. Um, where you have Doctor Strange and uh, Blade and Ghost Rider, perhaps Ghost Rider comes back at some point. Um, who knows? Uh, it 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 was very fascinating, and I I also want to say um, the cameos in these things where you're doing like a multiverse thing, and I think you can probably imagine who might pop up. There was at least one cameo I was very very surprised by that I can't believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially a deep dive um, in, in sort of like the MCU lore uh, of recent years. And they brought the character back, and I can't believe they did it. And perhaps all of the cameos, it was my favorite because it was the least unexpected. Um, but there are some really great cameos in this. Um, perhaps two w- weren't around, weren't, they weren't around very long. And. <laughs> uh, It's funny, one of those very specific cameos is about a character who we know is going to be appearing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming up. We do not know that the actor who plays the character in Doctor Strange is going to be the actor who plays the character in the eventual film. One of the things I will say is that watching this actor play this character in this movie made me decide... And I was always ambivalent about this casting, but it, it made me decide for certain that he is inappropriate for the part. So I hope that it's a lesson learned for the fans and the fanboys out there that, you know, your your dream casting does not always necessarily work out and is not necessarily as good as it is in your head. I hope that wasn't too ambivalent enough for people, I mean, if you if you want if you want me to be explicit, like send me a DM or something, and I will tell you all about my unvarnished, spoiler filled thoughts about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But I am thankful we managed to make it to the end of this segment relatively spoiler free. Um, though I will say it ends with Doctor Strange getting a new eye, almost like Thor, Love and Thunder. Because Thor is a character who got a new eye. Although he did lose an eye. But I leave. I, I digress. I will leave that there. <laughs> I'll, ima- just imagine where he gets the new eye. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. Uh, we hope you liked it. Uh, I hope you liked listening to me by myself. Uh, I am sorry about that. But if you want to listen to this again, you can find it on our website at edgrenitsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google. Tune in and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in Spotify. You can find End Credits on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5pm for News and Politics with scotty Hertz over on open sources wealth we will also be doing the election night show on june 2nd starting at 8 p.m so stay tuned for that as well that will be next week election day is next week this week we, we still have candidate interviews to get through so um if you haven't made your mind up yet uh i would suggest you listen to those uh, in the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me personally at Adam A. Dawson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And by all means, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We shall return with a co host probably next week on End Credits. And we will see you then.